All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fuck sticks? That one seems hostile. Fuck stick. That's never said in a positive way. What's up, fuck stick? So I don't use it as much, but it is, it's got a good rhythm to it. Uh, how's it going? Is everybody okay? I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little jacked. I'm a little jacked right now for, well, for good reason. For good reason I'm jacked because, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to tease it a little bit. First, let me, um, let me say that whoop, I just burped. You can cut that out. You know what? Don't leave it in. Let's keep it. Let's keep it loose. It wasn't a loud burp. Let's keep it loose. Duff McKagan is on the show from Guns N' Roses, the bass player. And uh, he's he's the real fucking deal. Rock star, rock and roll life, all of it. But uh, very lucid, lucid, smart, uh, thoughtful, great guy. I, I, I had no idea. You know why? Because we project. So he's here and it was a, it was a real treat. And that's something I don't say. But why am I jacked? Why am I jacked? Well, I'll tell you why. Because less than an hour ago, in this very room, in my house, in my house, people, David Letterman was here. David Letterman, the man who I, I looked up to for, for m- more than half my life. And then once I became a comic, all I wanted to do was be on his show. And it happened, but it took a long time. But... He was, he was here. He came to my house and you don't know what a mind fuck that is. I don't want to go into it all because by the time he got here, I was okay, but it did take me two days to get okay. Like, you know, a lot of self-talk. He's just a guy. He's just a guy. He's just a guy that you looked up to that, you know, you hung all your hope on being on his show, just a guy, but he was here and I'm going to, I'm going to share that conversation with you a week from today. Okay. I guess I should tell you then if we're teasing weeks out, which I don't usually do Monday, uh, Timothy Oliphant is here for the, uh, what is it? Memorial day. He was here. We talked about stuff. I watched a lot of the justified shows and, uh, I enjoyed them. It was like watching, uh, McLeod with my parents when I was a child, Dennis Weaver. Do you remember that show? It had that vibe, right? Seventies kind of, you know, episodic television thing. And Walton Goggins, Walton Goggins was on. That guy's a fucking wizard. We got to get Goggins in here. How would you? Wouldn't you like to have a friend named Walter Goggins? What's up, Goggins? Goggins, Goggins, what's up, dude? Goggins is here. So maybe I'll become friends with Walton Goggins someday, and he'll do my show, and I can refer to him as Goggins, dude. Goggins. Tonight, I am in Madison, Wisconsin through Saturday. Those shows are all sold out, but uh, hopefully I'll be there. I'm traveling as you listen to this. I should be on a plane in the air. Uh, if it's not in the air, it'll be on the ground, and that would be preferable You know, if it hasn't taken off or it's just landed. Any other time a plane's on the ground is not great. You know what I'm saying? So what is happening? Okay, a couple of things. Uh, I decided to to get back into Twitter a bit kind of dip my toe into the hate waters into the fucking chaos of, of infantile emotional uh, outbursts by our president primarily, but by most people really, I just thought, you know, I was being honest. I was at home on Sunday. I was waiting to watch, I think Barry 
or or John Oliver, and I I, I you know I I turned the TV on and Game of Thrones was on, so I said uh, I have not watched Game of Thrones. This is the first episode I'm tuning into. Uh, I, I'm I feel a little lost. Could somebody you know tell me what's happening? Something to the, to that extent. Now, is that funny? Yes. Is it snarky? Kinda. Is it condescending? I don't know. You know, it's just, it was, I, I was being honest, but you would think I would have said there was no God to people who all they think about is God. And I do think that there is a similarity in certain fans' minds about the importance of these fantasy movies. Again, not being condescending, Feel free to be a fantasy nerd. Feel free to invest, you know, eight years of your life into a fucking, you know, bloodbath of armor and bullshit and castles and dragons. Again, did that come off as condescending? I know a lot of people liked it, but I'd imagine after about a year in, most of those people felt like they had to. They were, they were, they, it was almost like sort of like, just, just try our church. You know, I mean, you know, it's different than your church. Um, but I think you'll like our church. You know, there's a lot of exciting things that happen at our church. And uh, it's every Sunday. And, um, you, know, at, at, you know, at night, which is nice. And, uh, and you can get lost and find solace from the real chaos with some ancient, fantastic dragon bullshit chaos. You know, just sort of... Refocus your emotions and sense of competition and relief and hope into a dragon show. But it was surprising, the the response. It was if I insulted someone's entire way of life is the way that fantasy nerds react. Yeah, a lot of like, oh, so edgy. I wasn't trying to be edgy or even be cool. Like, why do you assume, aren't you the cool guys now? If you're watching game of Thrones, isn't that the majority opinion? Watch game of Thrones. So why am I all this? Why are you bullying me? The guy who is apparently out of the loop, the guy who doesn't know well enough to watch it. I, maybe I'll watch it someday. I don't know, but, uh, there was just, it, it didn't happen. And it's one of those things that, like, if you miss the first year or two, you're not going to go back until, you know, you you have a you know, broken leg until you're bedridden or, you know, you, you have uh, the measles because dumb people don't vaccinate their children. And then you're like, hey, I'm, I'm covered with spots that are itchy and I'm probably going to be bedridden for a while. I can't go outside. Maybe I'll watch that Game of Thrones thing. That should take my mind off of this disease that no one should have. But because of stupid people, we have it again. But I don't want to think about that because that'll make me angry. Oh, look, a dragon. A dragon. All I'm saying is like, one of the reasons that I don't engage in Twitter anymore is because I'm a grown-ass man for the most part. I do have emotional components that are quite infantile, but they are not infantile or expressed in the fantasy realm. So... The, the point is, any conversation you can have on Twitter that, that unfolds into some sort of argument over bullshit is completely fucking adolescent. It seems like the entire dialogue on the platform, if, you, if, if it's engaged or you've upset some people, is going to be adolescent. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't need to communicate on, on that level. 
After I, I tweeted, I never watched Game of Thrones, just tuning into the episode on now. I'm a little lost. What's happening? Because of the response I was getting from, you know, seemingly adolescent people who took offense to that. I wrote, love when all the hate nerd babies bile cry when their sad heart holes get poked. Poetically sound. Uh, but apparently that I think that's the one that really caused some trouble in the nerd verse. And I'm not going to apologize because it's like it's nice. It's almost like a Bob Dylan lyric from a lost Bob Dylan song. I'm not tooting my own horn, but love and all the hate nerd babies bile cry when their sad heart holes get poked. Holy fuck. I'm going to write a song. God damn it. So a couple emails. Uh, this one in the garage. This is a nice email. Mark, I wanted to write to tell you how great a record in the garage is. I have been spinning it on the reg and I love it. I love the color of it. The price point was ace as well. $17 at Newberry Comics in Manchester, New Hampshire. I'll fess up and acknowledge that I bought it just for Margot Price and Jay Mascus, but I'm absolutely in love with the Karen Kilgareth song. It makes me laugh my ass off and feel slightly sad at the same time. I'd never heard of her. What a great voice. And man, what lyrics. The song that has the heaviest effect on me is Elephant by Jason Isbell. That fucker slays me. Every time I fire up a joint, I recall the line, quote, we burn these joints as effigies, unquote. It sticks with you. It really is a mind blower of a performance. It really triggers a profound sadness. I've never liked Melissa Etheridge, but what a great song and performance. It changed my opinion of her. It's really cool to get to hear you play with Dave Alvin. I love the casualness of it. I love the record and just wanted to share that with you. You need to advertise this a little more on your show uh, because it really is a treasure. You should make this the first volume in the series and release one each record store day. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Reeb. Thank you, man. I'm glad that you liked it that much. I like it that much as well. Okay. Don't hold your breath. How am I not going to open that? But it was literal. Hiya, Mark. Just listen to you and Lisa Kudrow. So regarding holding your breath, a clown teacher I've worked with, John Turner, said, quote, emotions released on the exhale, unquote. We can't cry or laugh when we're holding our breath. Have you not? Have you not heard me laugh when I hold my breath? That's how I exhale sometimes. Um, breathing is vulnerable. Maybe holding our breath is trying to exert some control. Yeah. Especially when we're anxious. Yeah. Here's a funny thing. When we hold our breath on stage, then the audience holds their breath too. <sighs> Noted. They probably won't be aware of it, but even if they are, they won't know why. It's because of me. So if we breathe, they breathe. Everyone relaxes. Okay, okay. Then come laughs. Oh, okay. Hey, didn't you talk about that in this episode too? It all comes back to breathing. Farts, Alan. I think you're right, Alan. I'm a breath holder and it's because I don't, uh, yeah, I don't want to feel. And if I'm holding my breath, not only am I not feeling, but I think I'm invisible. All right, so... 
Duff is here. I, I neglect to mention at the beginning that he's got a record out and I listen to it. It's good. It's earnest. It's good. It's called Tenderness. It comes out next Friday, May 31st. You can get it wherever you get music. This is me talking to fucking rock and roll. This is a rock and roll dude for fucking real. Duff McKagan and me. You don't want to wear the cans? No, is that all right? Yeah, I think so. Just, yes, yeah, if you get up on that mic. I hate the sound of my voice. You do? Yeah. Come on. I do. Well, how the fuck do you record a record? I, I, what? Singing and all that? I, I don't really have cans on. Really? I, yeah. Huh. I'll sing, I'll get a key, and I'll sing. Oh, and that's it? Yeah. And then you listen to playback or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just tell Shooter, like, all right, just you decide. I'm out of here. <laughs> no. <You're>... Well, <laughs> I mean, sort of. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 we'll go. He, he's really quick at um, uh, comping vocals. Uh-huh. He's like comping as I'm doing vocals. What does that mean, comping? Well, so I'll do, I'll sing a pass through the song. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do another pass. Right. And maybe a third pass. Right. And he's already, so he'll take a, a line from the first verse he likes the first pass I did and then he'll take a second line it. from I get it I get it so he's, he's cutting it up he's making notes and as we're going that's smart yeah so by the time I walk in the room he's got it comped yeah yeah I mean I, I think uh, you know the the uh, the record the new record I, I, I don't generally you know these aren't really plug generated interviews but you know this is what you're out there talking about and I listen to it and uh, it, fe- it feels like uh, you know you it feels like a record you had to make like, you know, that things were kind of working up inside of you. You're at an age now where you can process shit and write shit down yeah. and have some wisdom and some reflection. There were things bothering you. There are things that were painful in your life. And this is the record, a grown-up record. The record, you know, I, I really did, Mark. I, I've <laughs> written two bo- books. Right. I, I, I was a columnist for Seattle with yep. you for five years. I, I wrote columns for Playboy and ESPN and and I got used to articulating my thoughts right. on the written word. Yeah. Uh, I found a voice. Yeah. And um, so on this two and a half year tour that, that Guns did, you know, it was amazing. The we last back, one. This last tour we did, this huge tour we just did. Um, it was amazing that we were back together. Yeah. And there was this sense of ease in my life. Yeah. Because we had talked things out. You had, the, all of you. Yeah, and that's that's that was really important more than anything else. I Who think. was on the was Gilby on it? Who was on the guitar? It was Slash. Yeah, no, Slash and and Axel. So okay. the, the three of us are the ones who ended the thing. Um, Izzy had left right. back in ninety one. Yeah, uh, Stephen uh, before didn't yeah before yeah. that, and yeah. so the last you know year and a half, two years of the Illusions tour in the nineties, yeah. it was just the three of us. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> So we ended it like that, and we got back together like that. And my point to that is there was there was a lot of kind of dirty water under the bridge between uh-huh. those that the the end and the yeah. new beginning, and we addressed those things as like grown up motherfuckers, yeah. you know. And um, and it worked. And it worked. And so, also the point of that is, you know, I was at this sort of intellectual or uh, psychic yeah. ease. And coinciding with this yeah. ease and, and our bands back together. Yeah. And we're playing really amazingly huge shows 
everywhere you're you like go. playing country it's like the the entire country comes like I in go. estonia it was kind of that it was <laughs> you know there was kind of shows that was was actually that um, but um i am um I'm an astute guy. I've, yeah. I've traveled since I was in punk rock bands, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. 15 years old. Right. I left high school because I was touring. Yeah, you wanted to be a, you were in the rock life. Yeah, and I went to like alternative school where you didn't have to show up. And, sure. And Kim from the Fastback, she was 18, and she was my high school counselor because she was 18. Yeah. Right. And she would sign off on work I did while oh, we were- So they didn't even know you dropped out for a year. No, I went to this alternative <laughs> right. school, yeah. you know, which is yeah. called Nova. It was like the hippies that started sure. it. And, yeah. Um, doesn't matter. Uh, my my point is I've, I've traveled a right. lot, especially um, maybe since I got sober and um, kind of went through this, this whole martial arts uh, Thing that I did and yeah. still do, and became self-aware and right. self-responsible, uh-huh. um, and then started writing columns where I became a kind of observationalist. Yeah, you know, over sure. time, I'm, yeah. I'm, I wasn't like checking people out. I wasn't like coming to your house and checking you out right. and writing a column on it. it wasn't but looking like that. outside at the world and having some thoughts on it. Yes. Yeah. And inarguably, the two and a half years that we were on this tour hmm. were some of the most interesting. Uh, political times, not just in America, but around the world. Sure, that the, the in, enclosing uh, uh, authoritarianism that that you and I have seen in our lifetime. And well, yeah, we didn't think we would, but it's, it seems to be uh, you know happening. Yeah, these are the things that we were raised in in school to to recognize as 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 bad and shouldn't happen again. Right. Yeah. We, we've seen and the the problem is I read so much history. Yeah. And I'm I'm an armchair historian. Right. I have been since I was 30. I read So in other words you're freaked out. Mm. <laughs> a little. I I but no, I'm not. But you know the precedent. I know the precedent for sure. And there's there's many of them. Yeah. Even just in America sure. this has happened before. Right. And and uh but you this know, is where you you were compelled to write the songs. So I wasn't compelled to write songs, right? Originally, I was right. I was going to maybe write my third book, yeah. And it was going to be observations on, uh, you know, of my, the my travels, right? Uh, um, yeah. And getting out and talking to people, we play every third day mm-hmm. because it's a huge stage, and we're playing the stadiums. And one stage goes to the next city, and it takes two days to build this thing. So we play every third day. And how are you guys playing? Good. Oh, oh, yeah. Thanks. We are, we are, we are, we are kicking fucking asses. Okay. Yeah, we're playing really good, better than we've ever played. Thank you. Um, That's great. But yeah, yeah. No, that is all good. Yeah, I got to tell you, that is all good. Like, we are all way better musicians, and and we've all most uh, of you're sober. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I talked to Slash. It was great. We had a, a great conversation. Oh, Slash is this. Yeah, I mean, he's sober, and he's um. Uh, all he does is, it's funny, you know, as you go along in your in your life as a yeah. musician, um, I think we're lucky. Maybe it's the time we came up. I don't know. But we, we're so invested in our in our instruments and becoming better. And um, and I don't think that'll ever stop. I sure. Think, uh, what I learned maybe from punk rock, you know, yeah. early days of punk rock yeah. was just be real and truthful and, and if you're going to do something do it 110 <laughs> percent. you know even if it kills you yeah yeah i mean I almost <laughs> did um but uh 
I never knew he was such a, like, I always heard that he was such a monster on guitar, but, like, even when I listened to the earlier gun stuff, the way they were mixed, like, you know, they, they didn't put the leads way up front. You know, I kind of had to, you know, pick them out a little bit. I could hear the riffs, but I never got a true sense of what he could really do until, you know, I, I was going to interview him. So I went to see his last band, the newest band. Right. What's it called? Who's that guy he works with? Miles Kennedy. Yeah. I saw them at like the Troubadour, I think. So this like a little tiny place. And it was the first time I'd seen Slash. I never saw Guns Live. Okay. And that guy, I was just sort of like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. He'll do that to you. I mean, he he does that to me now. And yeah, really? Yeah, he really does. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, I met him. I moved down here in '84. He had an ad in, in the Recycler, right? right? This guy named Slash. Right? I thought he was, uh, thought was punk like rock, punk rock dude. Yeah. And it said Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, and Fear. Yeah. I'm like so, okay, okay well, Fear, I get. You know, yeah. the punkers at the, in '84 were looking. We were going to invent the new thing. Yeah. What was it going to be? Yeah. Um, but I went and met him at Cantor's, him and Steven Adler, and we went to his mom's yeah. basement, right. and he started playing acoustic guitar, and he played at 19, like he yeah. does now. No. And I'd played with some really cool guitar players up yeah. to that point. I'd been in a bunch of bands. Yeah. Never seen anything like this. I'm he like, just locks in, man. He loses himself. Just, he, he loses himself to a point sometimes on stage where I have to tap him because his eyes are closed. <laughs> And I've had to do this for years. Like, come over and tap him on the like with my foot. Time to get on with the song, man. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but your point, like, being that you know, you you were going to all these different places in the world, and, and you had three days, you know, so to I have get out in the days, world. I have two days yeah. off, and I, I'm a guy who who's always liked to get out, and yeah. see stuff, and sure. I'll go to museums. That's and I'll, good. I'll go to. Depends on where we're at sure. on the planet. I'll go to uh, do a tour of Normandy with a guide. You yeah, know, yeah, or, oh, yeah. Good or for I'll you. go to Auschwitz. But I, I get out, and I and when you get out, the thing is about that you you talk to people. Sure. And I go to cafes. Yeah. And, I, and in America, I go out and I'll do side trips in my bus. I'll go to Little Bighorn. I'll go to Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. I'll oh, go yeah. to World War One Museum in Kansas City. You know, we're you not really even, make we're not even playing Kansas City, it's, right. but it's on the way from Denver to Little Rock. Right, you know? man. Yeah. Let's stop there. That's great. Um, and you and, talk to people. And you talk to people. Yeah. And what I, what I saw was in this two and a half years, I would watch news in America, right? And I would, and I would get on Twitter and I'd get, I was getting, you know, I'd get freaked out. Yeah. Getting freaked out. Every day. But yeah, then, before before you get out of bed, you can get freaked you out. You can get freaked out. And then I, but <laughs> yeah. I go out and I would talk to. Then I would go to places and I'm like, I'm not seeing this divide that they're talking about because I'm I'm in the south and I'm in the places and I'm in yeah. You're seeing quote people. unquote right. red places yeah. or blue places. Yeah, man. I'm like this place isn't red. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number one, it's not red. It's just a place it's, where the yeah, humans where live and, yeah. and coincide and work together yeah. and yeah. and do stuff. They and, don't become monsters until they get online. Pretty much. Yeah. But then when we go to like South America, let's say, the next leg would be, we'd go from, uh, you know, we're in the States, go yeah. from Texas down to South America. Brazil. Yeah. Brazil, Argentina, we'd go everywhere. Yeah. Um, Central America, Mexico. But you don't have the three news stations because there's nothing. You don't watch TV. And yeah. I found myself really getting, I'd post something on Twitter like soundcheck, a picture, yeah. you know, and that, sure. and I wouldn't look. Yeah. Um, and I never look at comments as it is, but I yeah. would just stop looking at Twitter. And I noticed like in a one week, my, the quality of my life became 
so much better. And I started writing about that. Sure. I'm like, I wonder what that's what that is. You know, how much input I was doing like a self study of like well, you input know, like, on media to my brain. And- well, yeah, man. Because like you know, you 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 are shattering your brain. I mean, you you're, you're dumping more information in there than you need, and you're having you know uh, an over uh, like too many human reactions to them. You're gonna have emotional reactions. So like a speedball, you know, every bit, you know, you, you're just you're just kind of frying your fucking mind. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I guess you find you're actually. You know, thinking and acting and 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 feeling compulsive in, in at the same speed that you can get information, yeah. right? So yeah. you know, so you're not you know like just hanging out at a cafe. You know, if you know, you probably have some withdrawals, sort of like you, you know, there's probably a couple of days when you're not on Twitter, going like, oh god, I got to check or you know. Man, I didn't, I didn't have a withdrawal, and I kind of started thinking I'm a little long on the tooth to be checking Twitter. You know, <laughs> I I th- I'm, yeah. I read too many books for yeah. this. I'm yeah. not. I'm not a, an you know an intellectual or whatever. But it's funny how quick you will. I I had um, coffee with my buddy in Seattle. Yeah. It was during one of the breaks of the tour. Yeah. And he's been through. If you knew this guy, he's my age. Yeah. He's been through. Nothing's been handed to him. Yeah. He was a he was a junkie and a, yeah. and a fuck up and all of this and and he got sober yeah. and he started this. Uh, he, he working building houses. Yeah. Pounding nails. Sure. And he built himself up. To point now where he owns the company, yeah, but n- nothing was handed to him. But sure. we're having coffee. If you knew this guy's past, and we're in Seattle, yeah, right, right, and we're having coffee, and we're talking about some political stuff and and labels, yeah, you know, when, when, I mean that lefties, yeah, and right, elites, yeah, and yeah. and and he goes, Duff, you know, you and I, we're the elites. They're talking about. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't know my story. Nobody yeah. handed me anything. Yeah. He goes no, 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 it doesn't matter. Yeah, Hollywood. You, you make you yeah, you yeah. make over hundred grand a year, two hundred grand a year. Yeah. Uh, you live on the West Coast. Dude. Yeah, you live right. in L.A. and Seattle. Yeah. You're one of the elites. I am. He goes, yeah. I'm one of the elites. I own a company. Right. I live in Seattle, and yeah. we're it's just how quickly label people or label people a redneck or a lefty That's right. yeah, or extreme yeah. right or and like, some woman wrote a book about that about is that right? the, the, just recently I saw her interviewed on Bill Marsh show the boxing in through labeling you know what you know how it degrades you know the nature of the person and and the, and a culture or you know once you start naming people it immediately puts them in a box and denies other you know identification yeah you know in the dialogue sure and in truth we're just so i'm traveling during this yeah. all this stuff's going on i'm getting this information my friend in seattle the elites and i'm like i realize mm. like okay man we're just throwing labels around i don't remember lefty being there like three years ago <laughs> it, right? was, it was around it was around yeah, but it, now it, it, it replaced commie uh, i remember the, in it the like, late 60s <laughs> yeah i my my older i'm youngest eight kids i have seven yeah. older you grew up with eight kids. Uh, huh? yeah, 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 yeah. And and it was hippies, you know. Like my older brothers and sisters were hippies. Two of my brothers were in Vietnam War. Really? Yeah. And and so I grew up. My mom took me on a march. Uh, brought me out of kindergarten. Yeah. She was a Catholic woman. Yeah. The Catholic women went on a march when Martin Luther King got shot. So I don't know why I got a black armband on. I I'm asking my mom what. And you're like what six, happened? five or yeah. yeah. And and my mom said, "Well, they they shot this man. He was a he was a peaceful man. And, I, and so why they shouldn't? Have? Well, just because. And and I, and I never got a better answer. Like, well, they just shot a guy because they killed him. And my brothers are in Vietnam. And, and I said, what? You know, why are they in Vietnam? Well, two 
old men from these countries didn't agree, so they sent their young men to go fight their disagree- over their disagreement. Huh. I've never found a better answer than that, that m- my kindergarten answer to, to war. I'm like, well, my brothers, are they going to you know, be Did okay? Did they come back? They both came back, yeah. And yeah, how yeah. were they? My brother Mark, who just passed, he, um, he never talked about it from, from the time. He was a little withdrawn. For sure. Uh-huh. Um, from you remember his, him before and after? I don't remember him before. Uh-huh. But he was very withdrawn. Um, never t- would talk about it. Even I went through this, I read a lot. I went through this ho- whole Vietnam yeah. phase of reading the things they carried and all these amazing Vietnam books. Yeah. And um, and I would try to talk to him. And those all those movies were coming yeah. up, Platoon and all uh-huh. that stuff. And I tried to talk to Mark, and he he he, um, he said the one the one movie he, one thing he said to me he goes the movie Hamburger Hill yeah that's what it was like oh senseless taking Hill number you know whatever that was yeah sixty two yeah and just for the, no in the a lot of guys would get killed and then you get the objective and you just move on wouldn't keep the objective just move on so um, that was the most information I got from him about. His experience. What about but, the other one? John was fine. My oldest brother. He was. Um, he flew, kind of. Uh, I guess. I get spy missions. They yeah. would fly over and take uh, photos. Yeah. And he was fine. You yeah. know. So your other brother was in the shit, and my other brother was in the and shit. One was in the air. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, but but growing up with all those experiences, yeah. and you know, I remember yeah, commies, and I remember lefties back then. Sure. Uh, just all this stuff and pinkos and yeah. you know um, that's weird because you grew up in it you and I are like exactly the same age I'm 55 me too okay. and like you know I remember very early on like I didn't have brothers were you the youngest yeah I'm the youngest really of yeah. eight so how yeah. many boys how so many my, girls my parents are, are I grew up in with depression era values my my parents grew up in, in Catholic values clearly Um, my mom went south of the Catholic Church uh-huh. when uh, it was the Vatican II came in. It got uh-huh. really conservative. And I just remember us going to Catholic Church where the nuns didn't wear habits. and the, So more uh, liberal Catholic they, She went that way and then she, yeah, she kind of left the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. So I, my older siblings grew up more in the Catholic indoctrination and Catholic schools. And she shifted in pu- the 60s? I went to public schools. Oh, yeah. you got you, yeah. Yeah, you got lucky. You got, my, my next oldest brother and I went to public yeah, schools. Yeah, you got the re- the street education. Yeah. So, but how many girls, how many boys? Uh, three sisters, five boys. That's insane. But yeah. like, I remember, like I didn't have proximity like you did, which must have been helpful in a lot of ways. But I remember when I was very young and the Vietnam War was going on and I saw the hippies, like I instantly wanted to be that. Like, you know, they'd show them on, on TV and yeah. shit with the clothes they were wearing. And I was like, Dad, those are them. Those are who, that's what I want to be. Look at them smoking and hanging out, growing their hair long. I remember it having a profound effect on me. And uh, I wanted nothing more than to, to be that kind of, I wanted that rock and roll kind of hippie thing. Yeah, I had an older brother, Bruce, still do, um, who, you know, played in a band then. In the 60s? In the '60s, and the Sonics were a big thing in Seattle. I, yeah, I have their. I have a reissue of one of their records. I think Jack White reissued some Sonics record. I mean, it's classic garage. Yeah, yeah, rock. sure. So they um, were around. They they were. We had the Sonics record. It was a Dayglow Orange. Yeah, and I was being a little kid. That's the record you want to put on. It's Dayglow Orange. Yeah, it's cool. And looking. they had a song called "The Witch." You know, I thought it was sure. about a real witch like yeah. on a broom. Yeah. Um, but uh, I then guess did you make your isn't your new record coming out in Dayglow something? 
or is it gold or what, there's wait, no take oh there's a yellow and, and red vinyl oh, okay yeah yeah, 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 yeah. right could have went with day glow just a little nostalgia yeah maybe <laughs> i guess so you had that music in the house when you were very young like you had all this influence yeah. you had brothers with record collections and you had you know like a you know long hair and weed and stuff and there you was saw weed, all that shit. a lot of weed yeah i, I smoked my first weed when I, it's funny because i have girls who are 18 and 21 now and raising them up to yeah. i smoked weed in the fourth grade and yeah. i'm looking at my girls in the fourth grade I'm like that's really really young um 18 and 21 so so they they never knew you fucked up nope wow good for you but there's plenty of youtube you know i i, <laughs> I uh I had they, to, can, they can find it they yeah i had do to do a search on duff fucked up and they can see it. probably <laughs> yeah i've never done that because i don't want to uh but they they know my story because I've told them my story. Sure. And I've told them, look, guys, you have like half of my genes in you. Yeah. And we got to be careful. You got it. You got it genetically. You think it goes back. Your old man and and where where's the alcoholism? Where's the- it's kind of everywhere in in um in, in my my family. Yeah. My my mom's brother's uh-huh. family. He yeah. yeah. He got sober. He was a doctor, my mom's brother. Yeah. He was the one who, um, that they put all the family resources into. Yeah, in, yeah. In sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 40s. We got one. Let's yeah. make. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> We're going to deliver this one it's all the way gonna through. going to be a priest or a doctor. Yeah. And let's go. And um, so there was, yeah, alcoholism he got sober, for sure. So, so you knew sober alcoholics. You knew that there was people in your family that no longer drank because it was bad for them. Those are the ones you hid from. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't want to hear it. You didn't want to hear it. Oh no, you don't want to be judged. But um, do you do you just do it with, with uh, your own system, or you do the thing? I I I got sober because I got. I'm coming up on twenty, and I do the thing. You, know, you do I, the thing. Yeah. I I I like the thing. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends, and I, I like going to those yeah. fellowship yeah. Uh, um, uh, groupings. Yeah. Um, secret meetings. Secret Se- society. It's a secret society. Yeah, yeah. We have a handshake. Sure. And all of that. Handshake. We got uh, things that we do together. We wear hats. Yeah. We, really? Where's that one? <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the hat meeting. Um, but I got sober in a, in a really, uh, for me, it was profound. It had to be because um, my my body took a left turn at 30 and my pancreas burst. Oh, let's and, work up to that. Yeah. Like, let's go back to... Uh, to the Sonics record and your brother's from Vietnam and the records in the house because we were so, downstairs talking about records and you mm-hmm. said you had a relationship with a record player. I had a relationship. Well, we had a man. We had a reel to reel. Yeah, was it was a while before we got the uh, Technics or Techniques? Right, sure. Yeah, turntable. Yeah, yeah like, like a TAC reel to reel. We had a reel to reel. My brother brought back from Vietnam. Right, receiver and speakers. Uh-huh. And just when FM radio started. Yeah. Right, and we had reel to reel. So we had James Gang, yeah, Sly and the Family Stone, on reel to reel, reel to reel. I knew how, I knew how to do all that yeah. stuff. Had the little leader on it, and if you needed to make a new one, you could you know yeah. tape it on there. Yeah, James Gang, man, Joe Walsh, really cool record yeah. uh, tapes. And then we got, and then there was FM radio in Seattle. They would just play. I think they would just play records. You know, the whole first. side. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so there was a lot of. You know, there was stuff I didn't like because I'm a little kid, right? Mm-hmm. So you your tastes go to more to Sly and the Family Stone. Like, wow, there's a lot That's going fun. on. Yeah, there. yeah. Had, like, all these voices. Yeah. Or Sgt. Pepper's because sure. of the cover. 
Yeah. Of the record. Great cover. And, uh, but, you know, Bob Dylan or, or um, Iron Butterfly, I just, like, was too, like, Dylan as a little kid, it was like, it's just Heavy. this guy talking yeah. over and yeah. over again. I, I was like, I can't do that. But you had a lot in the house and you had a lot going on and you had, uh, you know, like siblings who were actually, you know, engaged in, you know, what was happening in the world and a mother who was engaged in what yeah. was happening in the world and you <clears throat> saw it from an early age. So it's like, it makes sense that, you know, you, you're kind of compelled now you're, or in the last decade or two, whenever to, to sort of uh, go out into the world and educate yourself and, you know, and see what's up. Because like there is a, you know, a sentiment on this record of, of you know, you know, wanting social change, observing, you know, how we're, you know, losing our grasp of, you know, what's good. Yeah. And, and uh, I think, you know, the, the I'm not to sound like, a, um, I'll just say it. Yeah. Um, the America that I know, and I'll just talk about America because I'm American, yeah. right? I, I could talk about other countries, yeah. but that's way more observational. And, and uh, been, But I've traveled to these countries mm-hmm. a lot in the last 30-something mm-hmm. years. Again, over, yeah. I mean, you know, Germany before the wall went down. I've been there, you yeah. know, after when the wall was going down, after it went down. Touring. I, I, touring. Yeah. I could tell you a lot about what I observed, there, yeah. but I'm not German. Right. Uh, as an American... We grew up with eight kids. My dad was a fireman. You do the math, how much money we had, right? He's so we a had fireman, to feed. Huh? Yeah. We had to feed all these kids, wow. right? And, Everyone's and wearing each other's clothes. That's it. Yeah. And uh, big bags of Cheerios. And right. <laughs> you don't know any better. Who cares? Yeah, you know? Yeah. You're eating breakfast. You're eating breakfast, man. <laughs> it's Cheerios every day. But um, <laughs> you you just assume that's what everybody else sure, has, man. too. Yeah. Until some guy, you go to your friend's house for breakfast, and you're like, what's this? Well, it was like in middle school. Uh, uh, man, I could tell you so many interesting things. I, I, as an adult, I yeah. can look back and go, that was so interesting. Uh, I started public school the year that started integration and busing uh-huh. in oh, really? Seattle. Yeah. My family is is mixed. My oldest sister, Carol, married a black man in 1962. Uh-huh. It was not, you know, that was heavy. It was illegal in some states and a lot of states because yeah. my oldest two nephews and niece are mixed. Yeah. And they're about my age. Right. <laughs> right. Anyhow, so there was a kid on our block who was a Caucasian kid but he had white blotches on his skin it was a pigment thing so yeah. i thought there was just like and then there was a, a filipino family yeah. lived across the street sure so there was you know people that that and there was there was polka dotted kids yeah and there was you know mixed kids <laughs> that was one of the that was one of the races you thought the polka dotted kids you know it was going, you just think white it, with white watches we yeah. all played together yeah. right right and uh so with you know it's it's definitely a learned behavior to be, you know, have something against somebody with a different color. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Because we just played together and- Yeah, there's an innocent questioning, like, you know, what's that? How come you're different? But not like, you know, fuck you, you're different. No, it yeah. would last maybe about and 30 yeah. seconds yeah. and then you move on because you got to pick teams for, for yeah. uh, you know- you got to run around. Yeah, yeah, throwing dirt clods at each other, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so, an interesting way to grow up. I, I don't think Seattle really, there wasn't a- that that I knew of a, a racist. There was the Central District, the CD we called it. Where'd and, you grow uh, up? And the Central District yeah. was where, you know, it was African American. Yeah, my was. my ex wife, my first ex wife, grew up in Seattle, and her dad was is married to a uh, African American woman, and she kind of grew up in the CD. Yeah, in, in yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure which part, but she she wrote a, a book about it about uh, oh. growing up. 
uh, with a dad who was basically a white guy who was encultured black. You know, he, she, you know, like oh, wow. he, he was that trip. It's called I'm Down. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you read like the Quincy Jones book Cube, where he, you know, he's talking about Seattle and the jazz scene, yeah. and the uh, Ray Charles moved there when he was fifteen. There was quite a quite a like Hendrix. black jazz scene in the yeah. 40s and yeah. it, was, it was pretty open i think you know it seems like it was pretty for a, a pretty uh you know uh fertile music scene of all kinds right yeah. it proves to be there's something about the air up there and the dope that <laughs> <laughs> i saw the dope come into that town man. the black dope right uh, the, the tar the, 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 i saw it come in, in 81 and 82 that when it really first came in and it decimated my whole scene and that's why I moved to L.A. I mean, that was the, like the. Well, what, 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 what? When did you start? You know, um, you know, playing out. When you know, what? How did? So you saw the creation of what became the grunge scene. But you know, as a kid, you knew the Sonics were there. But like all throughout your childhood, there, you know, there was music, rock music happening mm-hmm. in Seattle. So when did you become part of the scene that was evolving? Okay, because I'm a, from a family of eight kids. Yeah, you want. You got nothing of your own. Right. So you might have like this baseball bat is mine. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's it's mine. Yeah. It's not ours. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. And uh I saw punk rock flyers on yeah. telephone poles. The yeah. mentors and the lewd and DOA. Yeah. And I just started kind of my brother, older brother showed me three chords on a guitar. Yeah. I started playing bass. There was a drum kit next door at the neighbors. I would play that. Yeah. It was made you know, made to uh, keep time yeah. you know with, how old are you fifth grade yeah sixth grade yeah when i'm keeping time right. and i'm playing you play these three chords and don't don't fuck up you know and, and, and play uh, t- today is your birthday on the okay yeah. that's the what i realized later that's the major blues scale sure yeah i didn't have to learn much more than that yeah Three chords, a pentatonic scale, and keep time. And there's You're the set. notes in there. And if you, <laughs> yeah. um, I didn't learn much more than that until I started taking bass lessons in my 40s. <laughs> didn't need to. You know, it's all ear. And, yeah. and and so anyhow, I see these punk rock posters, and I'm like, that's something that could be my own. And I was so intrigued by it. Yeah. And I saw there was a kid uh, with a pink mohawk that would walk through a neighborhood. And yeah. finally, I, I talked to him. He's like, hey, uh, I'm starting a band, man. You want to play in my band? Yeah. And uh, and I was 13. Yeah. And my buddy Andy, my best friend, like he, him and I, he played drums and yeah. I, I played bass if that's what it took. I got a Gibson EBO to this guy. I had a paper route. I bought it for 125 bucks. I'm sure it was hot. Yeah. Uh, but it was 125 bucks. I could save up for my paper route. Got that bass. Put a, you know, uh, eventually I put a black flag sticker. I don't know what happened to this bass, by the way. Anybody yeah. out there listening <laughs> sees this bass? I lost it in like '85 in LA. <laughs> Somebody found it. I'll, uh, you I'll buy it back. I'll buy it back. I'll do you a solid. Yeah. I won't. No, no questions asked. Gibson EBO. Um, anyhow, we started this band um, called The Veins, and all I knew what to do was like you write a song whatever that meant right and uh i wasn't good enough to write a song like the witch i mean that's like a real song sonics tune so we would just the the sonic song or our beatles song so you would just write i got turned on to the to the pistols yeah and i got turned on to sweet yeah and i got turned on doa was like our kiss yeah and uh the avengers and uh, uh the clash and and i got turned on to 999 and uk subs 
and all of this stuff came flying in and the slade and and uh then somebody said well you know this came from the stooges yeah. you know and i oh, oh and I'm like all of a sudden the stooges oh my god <laughs> I, i'm going crazy because all of this great music is dropping into my lap i'm dropping and we're writing songs we don't know how to write songs yeah and, and um but we just the thing is we got a gig in a week yeah so we got to write the songs and you just go out and play them and um we i remember we andy and i we were little thieves man and we we stole all these milk cartons plastic ones out, out of the back of a grocery store the crates the crates yeah and then we stole some lumber and we built a stage but yeah. suddenly like we had our own stage like we could play anywhere <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> um yeah and sure. so you would rent yeah. these uh we had it in like two pieces this dumb stage yeah and, and uh we, we'd rent like union halls and right you'd have to put on a, a front a punk show yeah it was yeah. like you'd have to call a dance you'd have to hire a off-duty cop uh-huh um for like 30 bucks i think it was a dollar to get in yeah. so you just had to make enough money to pay for the place and the cop yeah and uh you know sometimes you charge two dollars yeah 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 but and, and you're selling tickets I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah people yeah. are coming. You're playing for somebody. Somebody's somebody's yeah. doing it, and um, and we just put on shows, and, and the little clubs would pop up and and close down, and and um, but um, never knew how to really write a song. Just riffs and like an idea of like, uh, you know, it's all middle school stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, sure, I, sure. I wrote this song called "The Fake." It was the first song I ever wrote. It's on a single. You can find it. The oh, main really? single. From 1979. Yeah. My voice hadn't changed yet. Oh, man. And I'm singing the song. And it's actually, part of it's like, you, you'll recognize the, the, the jungle riff in there, the, the, the verse riff. Yeah. Um, it's down, 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 this fake song. And my voice hadn't changed. And it was about this girl in middle school who was just being a fake, man. Yeah, a fake. But, you know, you go back through, yeah. Yeah. She's fake. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, thank you. You got a single? Do you have any of those records? I I don't, I, no. And I guess, I think those singles are like $1,000 if you find an original one. Someone give Duff his record. And then, and then kind of matriculating through the the punk rock scene and realizing, wow, you go see a lot of other bands. Yeah. You go see every band that came It's like a community. Yeah, yeah. there's about a hundred of us, right? And then people would come into town, and you'd have to find out from somebody because the punk scene was all about like you know, people hearing things and you know where like record small... store. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, our record store. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Scott McCoy, who went on to play in the Young Fresh Fellows and REM, was our record store guy, and he would he worked at the counter and he knew all the stuff, and you could look at magazines, NME, you know, yeah, and, uh, sure, New York. What was that? New, the, New York Rocker, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Punk Magazine yeah, came punk, out. Yeah, And I think the first zine may, may have been Maximum Rock and Roll. There was there was Flipside and, and Slash. Yeah. Uh, but we were open to everything. You know, ACDC at first was like a punk rock band. It was no accepted doubt. first in yeah. punk rock. Oh, yeah. And they went and opened for, they played the Coliseum in Seattle, which is now the Key Arena. They opened, it was ACDC, Cheap Trick, and Kiss. I and saw ACDC with Journey. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and I was there to see Journey. Okay. <laughs> and you were probably like, what is this these, this punk rock band? Or? I was like, what is this going? It was with Bond and yeah, it was crazy. Of course. Yeah. Um, and we were just so open and we got to see so many great shows. Um, 
Dead and, Kennedys and 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 soon enough, I was in bands that were getting more serious. Yeah. And, and hardcore was kind of coming in. I was in this band. It was a hardcore band called the Farts, and I played drums. Yeah, super fast. And and the singer of that band, was the Farts, w- the Farts. Yeah, was way more politically astute. At, we were so young. I don't know how like happy apathy. Yeah, it was all political. Oh yeah, Reagan was coming in. Like all this stuff was going on. Um, and he was writing about it. And yeah. he turned me on to Tank, and he turned me on, to, it must have been 1980, to Motorhead. Yeah. You know, Ace of Spades had just come out like, oh, this encompasses everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. This is everything. Like, this is, uh, but then we went down that Metal that and punk and rock. Yeah, Tank, there was a band, Tank, and it, but this guy also turned me on to Blue Cheer. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you, you're, your world's just exploding. Your mind's exploding with all this great music, and and I, you know, and these bands that we'd come and see play. Even the Clash, I saw them pre London Calling, right at the Paramount. And again, there's that those a hundred of us there. Um, and w- this is when before it was even slam dance. It was pogoing still. Sure, sure, yeah. And the security there at the at the Paramount. They were used to more straight shows, I guess, or whatever, yeah. and plays and right. stuff. And they see these kids like jumping up and down, and a big yellow coated guy in the front punched a guy. Of course, I knew the guy he punched because I knew every punker in town. Yeah. Broke his nose. What the fuck? During the class show because they thought we were fighting, oh. I guess. Yeah. And Strummer stopped the show, man. Yeah. Uh, and Paul Simonon came out with an axe from the side, like a firefighting axe, yeah. like to chop down the wooden barrier. And he said, uh, Strummer said, there's no difference between us and you. We're, uh, we're in this thing together. And, you know, he dressed down this security. Like, we're in this. We're human beings, you know. This guy's just dancing. And he broke his nose and, you know, and wow. stopped the show. And I realized, like, man, these guys are so exotic. This is the clash. Yeah. They're singing about London's burning. I have no idea what that means, you know. Yeah. But, but he stopped the show to say that we're all in this together. That yeah. there's no difference between them and us. And that and stuck with you to to this day. Yeah. When I play shows, you know, uh, I've met so many fans. In going back to me going out, meeting yeah. people, and talking to people, yeah. I've met so many fans, and I and I've been over the years, you know, even and and now, and when you assume you're the most interesting person in the room. <laughs> I always find myself to be so, so wrong right. and so full of my fucking self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's people that are coming to our shows that have, there's so many stories and there's, there might be somebody just, you know, his wife might have just died of cancer and they bring in their little girl, yeah. you know, they because because Sweet Child show. of Mine oh, yeah. was this song that they had in common with their mom. And that happened? They came to seven song, seven shows in a row and they're crying when we play that song. What's going on there? And I met the, the them on the street in New Orleans. I was out with my wife and it was this guy and his little girl. And I, I got a, I got daughters, man. I, you know, I, I'm like, oh, we, well, I see you guys at the shows, and then they we were walking. And they said, we don't want to bother you guys. We, you know, we're just, yeah. No, no, you're not bothering us. We're just walking in New Orleans, and and they were so sweet. And I gave the little girl a pick, and she started crying. I had to cut her picks in my in my pocket, and the the, the dad he started telling me the story, you know, of the you know, mom that she yeah. passed away, and then sweet child of mine was the song, and they, and I'm like, that's why you guys are. He brings her up front to these huge shows. And so many stories like that. Yeah. That these aren't just punters coming to our show. You know what I mean? And it goes back to Joe Strummer, like 
I was an interesting person at that Clash show. I had a story. Yeah. We all had stories, and the Clash had the stories. But together, we're stronger together. And uh, and also, you you've you've been around now in this band, in one form or another. You know, whether it was on record, and even when you weren't in the band, to where you know there's multi generations. Like yeah, you there have is multi, <laughs> like three. Yeah. <laughs> so you got, you know, you got grandparents or even you know, parents and grandparents turning grandkids on or, and parents turning kids on, you know, yeah. uh, you know, to this music, which is pretty timeless, you know. You know, we say we're, we're 55 years old because we are, but we're really not like, I still see my, because there's the Stones and there's like Sabbath sure. and Aerosmith couple i mean these are the bands i was listening to as they're a in their kid. 70s yeah 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 so you see the fans of the stones coming sure and those are like the grandparents i guess right sure i mean i go I, you know when i went to the stone show I, I was like i'm i'm not the oldest guy here man i mean these some of these oh, cats no. have been with them since the beginning so they're um, they're the same age in the seven, you know late 60s 70s yeah, and the, the people, the parents, I yeah. guess, are like my age. Or sure. Some of the people my age are grandparents. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you'll see a whole like collection of people together. And you, you recognize that's a family. And it's like, I think initially, like, you know, if you go back to your younger self, you would think that would de- deny the, the menace of the music. But, you know, as you get older and you realize that this is part of the American songbook in a way, and it's a global phenomenon and that it, it, it stays, you know, music stays around forever. You know, you're not up there going like, you know, fuck you old people. You know, you know, you now it's sort of like, you know, we play this music because we love it. We made it and it's for everybody. And it's sort of sweet to see several generations of people. Yeah, I mean, if they're into It's So Easy as a song yeah. Or, yeah. or Coma, which is about, you know, a guy looking for a way to, to suicide, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you want your kid to hear that? Good. And they're rocking out to sure, Coma, yeah. you know, like, it's what a brutal song. So um, when you were coming up, like, you know, when... So you you were in Seattle when you, when Alice in Chains and Nirvana and Soundgarden or had you already left? I left in '84. So that was before. Yeah. So I knew like Chris Cornell, Kim Thale. They yeah. hadn't started Soundgarden yet. But you guys were hanging around. They were part yeah. of the punk scene. Some of them. Yeah. And and you saw the dope. Ben Shepard from Soundgarden. Those guys were all part of the, the early punk scene. And yeah. and you saw the dope come in. I saw the dope come in. To, to Seattle. It was 1981, late 1981. Yeah. And there were some people, some of the older people, like, yeah. doing, they, they're shooting heroin in their arms, you know, like, okay. Now, had you had you been aware of that with your brother's generation? I mean, did, you know, because, like, a lot of those guys came back, you know, kind of fucked up. Yeah, my brother didn't come back fucked That's up good. on drugs. That's good. Yeah. So, there were, I, I didn't see heroin in Seattle, until it came into my scene. Uh-huh. And it came in, and it seemed like there was just this huge influx, influx of heroin suddenly. There was, yeah. Yeah. and um, It's a new market, a new kind of dope. Yeah. and, and It was that it, black dope, right? The tar? It was tar. Yeah, so that was a whole new thing. Yeah. And, and it suddenly, everybody in my scene, the ex- scene had gotten bigger by 82. There was people, there was the, you know, there was the suburban kids coming yeah. in, and, and right. uh, you know, they thought, Slam dancing was fighting, and you know, all kind. Sure. Of, I could comment on the shift just from that. The, the shift from the pogo to the slam dance. So the slam dance too. Then you see like some kids coming from the, like all of a sudden like white power shit, and like whoa, 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 you guys got this all wrong. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. isn't about. They that. come in from Idaho or <laughs> whatever, Eastern Washington, you know, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It came in and really decimated um, 
I had a job. I had a band that was doing really well. We got signed to Jello's uh, label, yeah. Alternative Tentacles. Oh yeah. This band, the Farts, had mer- morphed into this band called Ten Minute Warning. Uh-huh. We went on tour with Black Flag. We yeah. On tour with Dead Kennedys. We were maybe like like we had we were the first band to slow things down. Yeah. And we were playing like these long, slowed down, psychedelic, crazy songs, and um, we got signed to Jello's thing. We could have been like we. We're going to be the thing. Yeah. This band was serious, but then heroin came into the band. Yeah. Just decimated. This band, we just got, oh man, our band, not our band. And uh, my roommate I lived with, he got strung out. Who was my, these are all, all my friends are my best friends. And you just see him we turn into those zombies. Yeah. And then my, it happened to my, my girlfriend. Yeah. And just seemingly everyone around me. And uh, that, by this time, I'm 19. And you didn't get you didn't get involved no. with it then? No, I was drink. I did, every, dude. I did so many drugs by the time I was sixteen. Yeah, that I went straight edge for a year and a half. Yeah, like I'd done Quaaludes, Valium, uh, uh, cocaine, acid, uh, acid. Yes, <laughs> man. We could walk home from school and pick mushrooms. Yeah, we knew by by seventh grade. I knew how to discern a Liberty Cap from anything else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, very young. Yeah. Uh, pot I'd given up. That was for that was for hippies. By yeah. the time I'm like ninth grade, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and got into some harder drugs. Didn't get into heroin because it hadn't hit by the time of ninth grade. I don't think. But um, I was at the same time I was getting very serious about music. By by tenth grade, I was. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. Right. I'm going to stop doing crime. I'm going to stop stealing cars. Yeah. I'm going to stop doing drugs. Did you get busted for that shit? Um, my friend got busted yeah. for Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. My best friend, yeah. uh, High Speed Chase. Oh shit! And that's when I was like, okay, that's done. We're done. Um, <laughs> you weren't in the car that night. I was not. Yeah, no, lucky. no, lucky. I had gotten arrested in the eighth grade for you know throwing rocks at a cop car. Blah yeah. blah blah. But uh, that was about as that's good drastic as it went. So all this dope comes in. You see people dying. People died. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's when you decided to leave? People, oh man, uh, man, people, like, there was a drug house. All my friends, their house turned into a drug house where you go get a yeah. uh, score. And, uh, like, a Mexican gang came in, tied them all up, had machine guns, masks. Like, uh, one of the girls got sexually molested. They pistol whipped a guy. Like, it was getting very, very serious. Yeah. Where's the dope? Where's the money? beating the fuck out of the guy you know like yeah. this kind of dark stuff started yeah. happening all over the place in the in mid 80s it's 83 yeah 83 and i'm playing music my band signed the, the jello's label my band's falling apart my yeah. friend comes to me who's a junk and he says man if you don't get out now like you're our hope <laughs> you know oh, you're he, our hope he knew he was lost yeah and he and he's still alive that guy but he still is lost but i, I will never uh uh, can't thank him enough for like pulling me aside and going, you got to something. Yeah, gotta... I happened to me that one time the drug dealer told me I got to get out of town. And I was like, okay, right. if you're telling me that. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So uh, so in 84, so I had a job. I worked at this bakery. Um, being a baker's hard work. But I knew how to, by this, but I worked there a year and a half. By yeah. the end of that, I was a, I was an actual pastry chef. I started as a dishwasher, ended yeah. as a 
pastry chef. So you can cook a cake? I could cook. I could bake anything. Yeah. Man. As a pastry chef, yeah, like everything from sourdough bread. Do you bread. still do it? I don't. My wife, I mean, once in a while I'll make like, but I, it's been so long, like right. I'll fuck yeah. it up. I'll make, yeah. I'll try to make this, this lattice topped, yeah. you know, raspberry <laughs> tort with, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it looks you're, awful. You're, you're a little and, out of shape with the. Yeah, I'm out of, you, that's a thing with where, the, you're re- out of, repetition. You're, you're out of pie shape. I'm out of pie shape. Yeah. Man. But my wife, of course, like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah. You are the best baker. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> not anymore. That but. was like 40 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, honey. So you got uh, that skill when you go to Los Angeles? So I have a resume. I had 360 bucks. No button. By the time I'm 19, I toured in punk rock tours and done yeah. stuff. A lot of West Coast stuff. So I have 360 bucks. I have my, I sell my drum kit, which is a piece of shit. I sell it for like 100 bucks. I had what I'd saved up, which was like $215. And I had my $300 car. And um, I put... Uh, Guitar amp, bass amp, I had a bass and a guitar, and I headed south. Yeah. And uh, little I know the guitar that I got in Seattle that I traded for, it was stolen from L.A. five years prior from a guitar store in the Valley. Get out of here. So I come down, I finally get, an, I get a job right away. Yeah. Because I have a resume. I think Northridge is... Um, is L.A. Yeah. When you've been driving 24 hours, right. you see all those lights. Okay, yeah. I'm in here in L.A. <laughs> Forgetting where the Cathay de Grand is, uh, Cathay, uh, uh, Hollywood's further. Yeah, yeah. But I was just done. I'm like done driving. I need a good job now. Yeah. So I got a job at Black Angus in Northridge. Yeah. At a resume. They could. They were hiring right away. Yeah. For a, uh, uh, for a cook. Yeah. Boom, there I was. I was working, and yeah. after that job, after that night of work, I asked an older guy, who was like a chef there, and I said, w- where's Hollywood? He's like, Hollywood's 25 miles away, man. Yeah. I'm like, oh, crap. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm close, though. <laughs> so I didn't have enough money to get an apartment. I, I uh, stayed in my car for the first couple weeks, yeah. washed at work, Yeah. Uh, got my first paycheck, got an apartment on Ivar. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is right when the Olympics had left... L.A. There was the Summer Olympics yeah. in '84. Yeah. So I guess when they, I guess they'd cleaned up Hollywood right. for the Olympics. Yeah. And then when it was over, cops just left. Yeah. So it was the Wild West, man. Yeah. And if I was escaping heroin in Seattle, boy, did I move into the center of it in Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, man, right. In the, but at least I reckon. By this point, I was thought, okay, well, it's just everywhere. Yeah. And I'm here. Moved to L.A. I had to pawn my guitar. It was the most expensive thing I had. Yeah. Just a, between paycheck and rent, there was a, this little lapse, and I would have to pawn the guitar for $39 or yeah, whatever it was. Right. And now I could make rent, and then I get my paycheck, go get my guitar out of pawn. Right. I did it like five times, and uh, after the fifth time, these cops came to my shitty little apartment that's just, I lived with thousands of cockroaches. because oh, they, they run the numbers at the from the pawn shop. Yeah, you have to give your ID. Yeah, yeah. And they said, do you have this guitar? They were playing close cops, showed me their badges. I'm like, yeah, I have I have that guitar you're talking about. We, we, we got to take it. It was they, they recognized I was too young to have stolen it five years earlier right. in LA. They saw my IDs from Washington State. Yeah. They said, well, we have to take that guitar. They're looking at my apartment. I've got nothing. And oh. I've got a bass, though. Yeah. And uh, they take it, and they said, "Well, we'll try to talk to the, to the guitar store owner and see if you can buy it." But he called me. 
to his credit, he called me and, and he said, I can tell you, sorry, man. Yeah. But uh, it was stolen from me. Yeah. I can sell you for 500 bucks. I'm like, I don't have 500. I don't have anything close. I'm just making rent and my phone bill. I didn't have car insurance. Um, by this time, I'm working at a phone sales place. Yeah. You know, Bronson yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and doing like driving stuff around that I didn't know, but it was okay because uh, it was a bunch of Hungarian guys. Yeah. And Mikey, <laughs> my name's, they said, they called me Mikey. Yeah. Right? Mikey doesn't ask questions. Yeah. I'm like, okay, it must be something, <laughs> something bad in the back. I don't know what it is. Something bad in the back. That's the name of the next record. Right. You know, I think, I think it was like, um, you know, they, back then it was fake Jordache jeans oh, and right. fake knockoffs. Knockoffs. Yeah. I think that's what I was driving around. I'd like to think. You, were you playing at all? So I, yeah, man. I mean, I came, that's what I came to do. Right. I didn't came, come. So in, you got no guitar now. Now you got just a, I bass. Got a bass. So I meet Slash two weeks in. From the ad. From the ad. It's a, what were the three bands? Uh, Aerosmith, uh, Fear. Alice Cooper and, and Fear. Fear. And that's weird because that was exactly what you were working towards, right? It's great. It's perfect. <laughs> His name is Slash, man. And so, uh, yeah, we meet. He's he and Steven have a band called Road Crew. Yeah. There's no singer. Yeah. But at least it was a chance for me to play with Slash and Steven. And Slash was this, you know, I recognize him as like this, something. This kid is like. Yeah. This yeah. guy is like from the golden child. Yeah. yeah, what is the deal? His mom was really nice to me. No, knew like I was down there by myself, and she would she would call and check up on me, and like you know you can always come over if you're hungry or something. Very sweet. I felt like I had like a, a home. And yeah. Stephen Adler was the sweetest guy. Izzy moved across the street from me sometime in there in the next in that first couple. Just of by months. coincidence, Stradlin like, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I see this Johnny Thunders looking guy at the phone booth. Yeah. No, doing what I know is a drug deal for right. sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyhow, I talked to him afterwards. He's like, "Man, uh, we kind of recognize recognize each other as kind of like kindred spirits." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighty four. You got to realize eighty four. So disciples of of punk rock and and Johnny Thunders yeah. and and Steve Jones's guitar playing. Right. Let, let's be honest. That's yeah. that's what it is. Um, and so as he said, I mean, I'm me and. Uh, my friend are starting this band, you know, uh, you play bass. And um, it was Guns N' Roses. It was Axel. His yeah. friend was Axel. And right. I, Slash had taken me to see L.A. Guns when Axel was in L.A. Guns. Uh-huh. Right? 84. That must have been something. But I see this guy get up. And I'd seen Rollins, like the first, when he first got in Black Flag. My first gig was opening for Black Flag with Ron Reyes as a singer. Right. Right? Before Rollins. Yeah. And then Des Kadena came through as a singer. And then Des went to guitar. And Rollins, this guy who I'd read, he'd written a couple of things in Mac, Maximum Rock and Roll. I right. knew he was from D.C., from yeah. SOA. Or, right. He was this really kind of hardcore dude. Yeah. Like, he was writing columns. And yeah. This guy was serious. And he's going to be in Black Flag. That's a thing. Yeah. And he's ready for it. And so my band, 10-Minute Warning, the on um, we... Did like four shows or five shows with Black Flag with Henry. Yeah, his first time in, and he was so intense, man. And like even a sound check, uh, I like him just getting ready. I would would stay fifty feet away from him. Yeah, it was like he looked like a time bomb. And about he's like to go twenty, off. right? How old was he? I don't know. Yeah, maybe he was twenty, but he was like hardcore, man. And we, the way he approached a show, man, it was it was all it was uh, everything. Very focused in charisma. 
everything. And that's what he felt that when he saw Axel for the first time. So when I I see this guy come out and he fucking he the way he's singing, I'd never heard anybody sing like that. Yeah. You know, I just met Slash, who's this guitar player, like from Mars. Yeah. And I see this singer, <laughs> and he's really serious, yeah. man. Yeah. And something pissed him off, and he fucking breaks a fucking glass on stage, says he's going to kick somebody's fucking ass, and, yeah. and he's not joking. It's like, <laughs> he's not joking. Yeah. Right? Like, you back yeah. away from yeah. the stage, yeah. like yeah. N- like Henry. Yeah. You know? like, yeah, yeah. There's some guys, most of them. Yeah. 99.5% is <laughs> like, shut up. Right. But there was a few dudes yeah he was one of them yeah. you know and, and Rollins yeah. and uh and axel yeah well i reckon i'm like that's yeah. that's he's in that mold man <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so we go out izzy takes me out to rehearsal and there's Axel. he's testing out the microphone and like two voices are coming out of his voice uh, out of his mouth at once like a low register yeah. and a high register and he's just doing like a scream on the t- t- checking out the pa yeah. testing the pa and I'm like, whoa, you know, and uh, the band originally was two other guys, Rob Gardner on yeah. drums and Tracy Guns on right. guitar. There were some, they had so- songs and it was like, okay, we played, uh, wasn't, Axel and Izzy were amazing and Tracy was amazing and Rob, I don't mean to put them down, yeah. but there was something missing and I've right. been in enough bands at that point to know there was, there's just something yeah. intangible missing. Right. So Izzy and I booked this punk rock tour for that band to do. And would start in Seattle, come down Portland. I'll play all the punk rock places. Yeah. And uh, two of the guys, Rob and Tracy, said, "Well, where are we going to stay? Like, what do you mean we're going to go on tour? Like, where are we going to?" Yeah. And the punk rock tours, you just stay at whoever offers you the place to stay. Right. There'll be somebody. Yeah. Or the club owners say you guys can sleep here. Yeah. Or you figure it out. But right. it doesn't matter. We're gonna, right. We got these gigs. Yeah. You know that's what matters. And two of the guys dropped out, and uh, we still wanted to do the tour, so. It was just incestuous. Axel had played with Slash, and I believe Steven, and Izzy had played with Steven, and whatever happened. Yeah. I'm like, and I played with Slash and Steven. I'm yeah. like, well, let's get those two guys <laughs> to, to see if they'll do the tour. And they were like, yes, we'll do the tour. But the, the moment that the five of us were in a room at Nikki Beat's rehearsal room in Silver Lake, yeah, uh, we knew Nikki, and... Uh, we went and rehearsed the first three chords we played together. It was like, oh, there's this thing. <laughs> it's there. It's yeah. all there. Yeah. Okay. And we went and did this tour. We, we had to hitchhike. Our car broke down, our friend's car, in Bakersfield. As you know, Seattle's quite a ways from yeah. Bakersfield. Sure, man. Yeah. But the five of us hitchhiked yeah. all the way to Seattle. Yeah. That's a thousand miles. <laughs> Doing gigs along the way, that's where you started. No, our gear was left in Bakersfield. <laughs> so we called the band that we're playing with in Seattle. Can we use your gear if we make it to Seattle? Yeah, you can use our gear. But you guys are going to hitchhike from Bakersfield? Yes, we're going to make it. And and that odyssey, which it was, dude, it wasn't one ride. Right. Um, but that odyssey of us getting up there. It's five dudes. Oh, starving. Yeah. No money. We had $37, <laughs> which we had to give to a trucker to give us a ride up to Medford. Yeah. So we did have one ride. from, But we were all in like the, the cubby or the yeah, whatever. right, yeah. The bed. yeah. With our guitars, you know, like for, <laughs> and the guy's all high on crank. His uh, eyes are all black. And <laughs> we get to Medford, that's like halfway. Yeah. You know, um, but we we got rides somewhere five miles, you know, the back of somebody's pickup. And then these two girls, these two women, to yeah. us, they were, they were probably 30, 
four. Yeah. But they were like women. Yeah. They came and picked us up. They had a they had a pickup truck that had a cover in the back. Yeah. And they pulled over. Look at us on the road. Like we all like who would pick us up? And they said, Look, we were hippies. So maybe they're older than thirty four. Yeah. And we used to hitchhike here and nobody would pick us up because of the way we looked. So we actually passed you guys. Yeah. And, and they then, had a discussion. Yeah, and they got off at the next, and they came back around, and they picked <laughs> us up, and they said, are you guys hungry? We said, yeah, we're really hungry. <laughs> so they got us a six-pack of beer and some sandwiches, yeah. and they t- gave us a ride to Portland. Yeah. Like, we can take you to Portland. And and I at that, where we got sandwiches and beer, I called my friend in Seattle Collect. I'm like, we're getting a ride to Portland. Can you come get us? Man? Yeah. And that's 180 miles south of Seattle. He came down and got us and got us to Seattle. We made the show and we went through that. Like we, we just knew if we can go through this together and we were, we were awful that first gig. Yeah. Um, but we did it. We made the thing. Three people were there. Now in Seattle, you know, hundreds of people say they were at that first show. <laughs> <laughs> there was three people there and I know, knew all three of them. So, <laughs> so that's the myth. That there were hundreds of people there. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, oh, yeah, I was at that show. No, you weren't at that show. And that started. That was the history, right? That's what got us started. And we, we just, and then we had a show back at the Troubadour, like on a Monday night. You know, that was supposed to end this tour. We weren't able to do the Portland show, Eugene show, Sacramento. We didn't have a car. Right. So, and our gear was still in Bakersfield. So we just got a ride. All the way, uh, my friends, my friends said, I got to go to LA. I'll give you guys a ride. So, yeah. but you guys bonded, and you knew that you know you guys could do it. Oh like, yeah, and you got to know each other, and all the insanity and everything. Else. All of that. And you're all like twenty, what one or two or twenty, twenty. Yeah. And then you go back, and you just lean into it. We leaned into it hard. Yeah. Yeah. We got a little place to rehearse and live. Um, had no bathroom. It was behind where Guitar Center is. Uh, yeah. Sunset. Yeah. There was an alley and a these little like storage rooms. Yeah. And we took one of those, and yeah, we, that's perfect. We leaned into it, and then like you know, I get it, then it becomes history. Like Appetite comes in out in what eighty seven, and uh, Adler craps out, but not right he? away. You know, yeah, um, there was a lot of drugs. I mean, I was telling you, I saw this documentary last night about yeah. a guy, this famous kind of Hollywood guy. It reminded me of this is pre AIDS Hollywood, kind of. It right. was around. I it mean, would, okay, so 81, I worked, it's sort the, of. The bakery I worked at in Seattle, it was all gay men. Yeah. So I remember when it first came in, the bathtub thing and all of that, yeah. right? So that was 84, well, 83, 84. And, and the guys I worked with, you know, when you work in a restaurant, you're very close with the people you sure. work with. Yeah. And they would tell me all the gory details of everything. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but this thing started coming around. It was called grids at first uh-huh. do you i don't know if you remember that gay related immune oh right it was called grids at uh-huh. first i remember this like back of my hand yeah gay related immune deficiency syndrome yeah so it was just thought of really as like a gay something right. was happening sure. somehow right so you're saying that when you guys were starting out it wasn't you know you were just you going at it you everything know, every, was everything shared all the time. openly yeah everything and everyone so you got and, lucky yeah, I got lucky. And, and there was just a lot of drugs, and, and, and we all fell victim to it, for sure. Um, you got strung out? Later. Oh, yeah? Because I was still like- Just boozy? I was boozy, just boozy. And I wasn't even that 
fucked up, like through the appetite thing and all that. I drank probably more than the, the it, way more than the average human being drank. Yeah. But for for us, that was like keeping it even keel. Right, right. Um, Axel kept it together pretty damn good. We all experimented with stuff, but yeah. but you know we had we did have three guys in the band that were fully strung out. Yeah, <laughs> fully strung out. <laughs> and it's hard to manage, huh? It's you know they, they, okay. We're going to try to kick together. They got some like some drug they heard about that yeah. you're supposed to make your kick one day. Yeah. And it's just like barf and stuff yeah. everywhere. And you're trying like we got our band. Our, our things happening, you know. Yeah. You guys are barfing and <laughs> fucking freaking out and calling the dealer. Like get over here now, man. Um, uh, so that's an extra, you know, bit of spice into sure. that. So so you had to deal with that. Just like it's just a different. Uh, it's just a different car ride. It's a different hitchhiking <laughs> situation. But but it it, it, might, it put a strain on the thing, right? It. By the time we opened for the Stones, we so we'd done the whole Appetite tour, couldn't afford like I think everybody got their shit together for the Appetite tour for the most part. Yeah, you know maybe copying the heroin once in a while, but yeah. not a full on habit. Yeah, uh, until we got back yeah. off of that tour, and then like we got a we we saw no money on that tour. We were our roadies made more. We'd have to borrow money from our roadies yeah. to eat. You know. But we got back, and, and our record had started selling. Right. And they said, the money's in the pipeline. What yeah. the fuck is a pipeline? Yeah, yeah. You knew nothing about money. I told you about my family I grew up in. And, yeah. You know. Uh, so I, I got a check, man. My first check I got was $80,000 <laughs> from nothing. <laughs> and I was scared of the money. I didn't know what money was. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like. I'd heard all these stories about the depression from my parents. Yeah. Like, I don't want to spend it all because, you know, the depression. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't know what to do. But so drugs were. <laughs> you could afford them. You could afford the drugs. <laughs> yeah. And by the time we played the, the show with the Stones, yeah. we played three shows with them at the Coliseum. I think it was 89. LA Coliseum? LA Coliseum, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. And it was a big deal to do. They had asked us specifically, and we were on the cover of like the Weekly and yeah, stuff, like yeah, the Guns N' Roses, the New Rolling Stones, and all of this. Too much pressure. Yeah, um, we didn't think we were the New Rolling Stones. We were just us, Guns N' Roses, right. and we were doing our thing. And um, Axel was fed up. He was fed up, and it, he let <laughs> the band know, or the, the three guys yeah. that were dancing with Mister Brownstone. Uh, yeah. During this, that uh, yeah. they, they either stop. This is on stage. Oh no! I think I kind of they remember either it. stop or there's no more band. I think and I kind of remember that. It was pretty genius. It got press, right? I'm sure it did. I kind of remember that. I was living in a little like my little corner of <laughs> your little base corner. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. no, not just like uh, I would. Man, our band got big, you know, and there was no internet. There was no like um, there's no how-to manual. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Um, I'm still like this punk rock guy, you know. I'm thinking, oh, man, fuck, I got my punk rock values. I don't want to be big, be recognized. And, but we were on the cover of Rolling Stone. You go to Ralph's to get vodka, you know. Yeah. Everybody, you're Ralph's. Like you're on the cover of the Rolling Stone, right by the cash <laughs> register. You're that guy. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, all of a sudden, you know, your humor's way funnier than it ever was recognized sure. before. Yeah, yeah. I was the funniest guy around, and and. All the girls finally do realize how good looking. I mean, I knew sure. I got my. I'm squared away, you yeah, know. But yeah. the, all the girls finally, I must be coming into my own here, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, oh, and about six months in, you realize, ah, I'm a rock star. it's because the band is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About that point, I was going through a breakup. Yeah. I got married way too young to this this girl that, you know, we were a great boyfriend and girlfriend. I was in LA. I needed something. Yeah, I, I felt I needed yeah. some sort of like anchor. Sure, My man. Life was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get married. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I, yeah, I did that. That'll help. No. Worst idea ever. Sure. And so we had to break up and it was... I didn't ever want to get married and divorced because I saw my parents go through this thing when I was a young, the second grade. And I yeah. just, I'm like, I never will do that. That's too brutal. Right. And, uh, but here I was in the middle of it. And I was only like 21. Yeah. And then I found that cocaine, at that point, you could drink more. And I was like trying to just bury my sorrow. Yeah. And drinking and, and some, some, uh, some Valium and, and things like that. Yeah. But, Dampen it down, and, and man, if you do cocaine, you can do more of that other stuff. Oh yeah, stay up all night and drink for three days. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, four. Yeah, and uh, you crash out for a while. You feel great. You wake up and do it again. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and so I got, I got into that, and that was a danger. That was, that was the beginning of the end for me. Uh, it, what eventually became the end for me. But um, we went out to Chicago to work on the Illusions records, and. Uh, a lot of cocaine, a lot of alcohol, a lot of, and that's okay. But we knew there was a line you didn't cross, like when you played, when you rehearsed, when you what, played for, shows. For Axel or just in general? No, for us, yeah. just as musicians. Right. Like, you can get fucked up. Yeah. We're world class at it. Yeah. But just don't let it fuck up recording yeah, yeah. Or, or rehearsal or gig. That's, yeah. that's the line you yeah. can cross. Right. Do whatever you want. Just don't cross that line. Right. You know, yeah, and that line started to get crossed, yeah, and it was it was Stephen at first, and it's and Izzy, suddenly, he got busted on a plane, doing something, yeah, and uh, they landed the plane in in like Phoenix, and he got arrested off of the plane and put in jail, and he's left to Jones in a jail in Phoenix, and he got he got sober, that was ninety one. Now suddenly Izzy's a guy like, I'm so happy for him, yeah. But I'm staying away from him because if you look, if you got a sober guy in your midst, you know you yeah. don't want to be like, oh shit, you don't want to hear you got to get sober. Yeah, yeah. You know, somehow or another, you've managed as grown-ups who have been through all this, the long ride. You know, you come back together. You're pros. You you know, people are excited to see you. You've somehow managed a, a detente with you know Axel. Yeah, um, and and you know you're you're out there doing big shows. Yeah, flash forward to now. I mean, so much happened. I mean, I got sober at, at yeah. 30. What happened? How did that happen? How well, old were you? I, I mean, we did the illusions tour. Yeah. I'm I'm drinking more and more. There was one gig in Mexico City that I crossed the line. Yeah, I realized right in the middle of the show, I'm just staring at Matt. By this time, Matt Sorum's kick drum. Yeah, just trying to lock in, and I realized I was like doing everything I could do just to hold on to the show. Yeah. And I was too fucked up. Right. And uh, that scared me. Uh, we finished that tour. I I stopped the cocaine. I stopped vodka. I thought, I'll, I'm stopped drinking. I'm drinking wine. Yeah, sure. But yeah. I was drinking like- Two you know, gallons. Oh, man, at least. Yeah. 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 Wine, you got to drink a lot. So I, and I went out and did this tour of my own. Uh, I had made this record during Illusions 
uh, we had days off, and I was writing. I, I kind of thought demos for the next Guns record. Yeah. Uh, but I played drums on them, and I played bass and guitar and uh, and sang on these songs. And, and our guy from Geffen, Thomas Utah, came came into one of the sessions. He's like, what do you keep doing? You keep going off and recording. I'm like, I got to do something yeah. to keep myself busy, you know, or I'll, I'll be out looking for the guy yeah. to cop. And, and uh, so this record came out right as Illusions ended and I went out, out on tour. I'm drinking the wine. Yeah. Um, not doing the cocaine. Right. But how much wine I'm drinking, uh, it, it has to be a lot because I started having this really bad heartburn. I, I, I was in the shower one time and, and my nose kind of hurt and I'm like trying to blow something out of my nose and like my septum comes out and lands on the floor. Oh <laughs> I shower. God. And my body's, my hair's falling out and my bottom of my feet are cracking my hands are crack like when i get up to take a piss in the middle of the night you know my yeah. feet just crack open and um oh it's not going God. well for oh me God. and uh i get we're, we're we do this european tour we go out we open for the scorpions you know in, in your band night, my band yeah. my own band and right. we do all these shows of our own yeah and it was fun to go out with the scorpions because we were like <laughs> you know it's like wow they're 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 still doing like arenas and, yeah and and uh sure and I got the punk rock supergroup is is my band. Like yeah. all the guys that I played with y- younger, yeah, uh, in the early eighties, they're they're now my band. From all these great bands from San Francisco and Canada, I got they're all in my band, and and it's cool. And I'm drinking wine, man. And my, yeah. those guys in my band are like, yeah, dude, you ain't sober. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm gonna get defense. I'm drink, just drinking wine, man. Yeah, yeah. And your uh, septum is falling out. My septum had fell, fallen out. Yeah. Um, I get back from leg. We were supposed to go to. Uh, we did that leg and then we did some american dates and we did japan i shouldn't have been touring we just toured for two and a half years with guns and roses two and a half years now i'm out just doing it and we do japan we get back i just bought my house in seattle i'm finally back home I, this is my dream to have yeah. a home a house back home yeah you know I, I that's me i made it you know like yeah and I bought this house that we should like steal this neighborhood. We steal cars from. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. High end. It's not. We didn't grow up in this neighborhood, right? Uh, um, and um, I'm in this house. Yeah. And I'm I I'm in the bed, and I, I my stomach really hurts. And yeah. I, and I it starts really hurting, yeah. and, I, and I roll over, and then it's hurting like down on my quad muscles, and I know something's really wrong. Yeah. And I try to roll over again to get to the phone to call the nine one one. Yeah, because I know something's wrong. Uh, I can't get out of bed. Uh, I can't even move. I can't barely breathe. I'm just something's wrong. And my friend, who's became the guy, the Grand Theft Auto guy, yeah, right? Yeah, who became a real estate agent in, in between the Grand Theft Auto and now, <laughs> he found the house for me. He's and he's my best friend still to this day. Yeah, since we're three years old to this day. Yeah. And he come. He would just walk in my house, and he saw my car was in the garage, and my keys and wallet were downstairs. And he, I hear him downstairs, like, "Hey, where are you?" And he, um, "Where are you, man?" He comes upstairs, sees me in bed, and my eyes are open. And he's like, oh, "Okay, fucking finally happened." Yeah, <laughs> and he, you broke yourself. <laughs> yeah, and he picked me up, and it hurt so bad. I didn't know what was going. I was scared, and um, took my. Uh, Anyhow, he took me into the emergency room, and uh, I was on—I mean, I was on the ground in the emergency room, couldn't move, and they—they they took me in and they gave me morphine. And uh, first, they tried a couple shots of, like codeine in my ass, nothing. They put 
intravenous morphine that gave me an ultrasound. And they were like, <laughs> my doctor, whose dad had birthed me on all eight kids. Now his son was a doctor. He's yeah. my doctor. I saw his face go white when he's looking at the when he's looking at the ultrasound. And uh, I was in so much pain, I wanted to die. I wanted them to kill me. Then yeah. a surgeon came in, and he said, we're going to do this and this and, and the other thing. And I said, no, just kill me. I can't take any of the morphine. I knew what morphine's supposed to do, it wasn't, and it wasn't working. What, what, what was wrong with you? My pancreas had burst. Oh, so God. it's swollen up and it burst. So that's oh. all the stuff that, you know, you digest your food. Now once <sighs> it's outside onto your intestines and, and like quad muscles, yeah. Just drips down, uh, and it's you know they uh, what the doctors told me was they usually will open somebody up, yeah, just to let the steam out, yeah, to alleviate some of the pain before they die, yeah. You know, I'm like this is this is really real, you know, this is real, and I wanted to die. It hurt so bad, but they had to put me on Librium too because I started to have the shakes from withdrawals of alcohol, uh, which you can also die from. They, right. I'm getting all this great news, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful news! And, uh, Welcome home. So I have morphine in my left arm with the with the um, I'm plunging a button. You know, I got yeah. the plunger button yeah. you know, where you can just boom, boom. And I got the librium in the right arm. And my mom, who was by this time at Parkinson's, you know, she comes in, gets wheeled into the hospital to see me. And she's crying, and I was in so much pain and so kind of I I saw myself from above the bed. Literally, I did. I saw that. And yeah. I saw my mom. They're crying in a wheelchair, and I, I'm the youngest. And uh, I'm like, if I can get through, I'm, the order of things is wrong here. Yeah. And I should be taking care of her. I've, right. I've failed her. Yeah. Her youngest son, I'm in here in the ICU, you know, hanging on. They're going to have to take out my, I'm going to be on dialysis at best, you know. Um, but miraculously, my, my uh, through that night, they were going to do surgery the next day. They, they didn't because my pancreas started coming down. It was the size of a football, and it started coming back down to its normal size. So they held off for a couple of days. And my doctor said, man, you've been given a second chance after like two and a half days. So remember this. You've been given a second chance. Don't. Don't fuck it up. And I'm like, okay. And I got the librium, and I got the morphine buttons, and I'm not going to, okay. I haven't drank for two and a half days, man. And then it was three and a half days, and then it was six days, and they took the buttons away from me, and that sucked. And they, <laughs> you know, and then I was in there for another seven days, and they weaned me off the morphine, and the pain, I couldn't, still couldn't eat. I was eating like ice cream or uh, ice chips, and by the time I got out of the hospital, I was done. That was uh, what I needed. I yeah. needed that. I had been trying to stop. I just thought, I'll never be able to stop. I'm going to die young. Yeah. And uh, seeing my mom. Um, like that, crying, uh, really had an effect <clears throat> on me. So how I got sober was that, and I got on my mountain bike when I got home. They gave me a Librium, and I s said, take as directed. It was a weaning off thing of Librium. Yeah. Librium's like a value, yeah, but yeah. it's for um, alcohol, like right. to come off alcohol. Yeah. So I, you know what I did? I followed medication as directed for wow. the first, all these new things yeah i smelt fresh cut glass grass yeah uh, i reminded me having paper route i yeah. smelled like newspaper print yeah. these first things like yeah. when you get sober you yeah. these all these things come back to you before you started getting fucked up wow and uh i just rode my mountain bike like i didn't know what else to do i was like i was on acid everything was so real and um i had to come back down to la we were going to do some guns like start up third record yeah 
I come down to LA, I got a mountain, I get a mountain bike there. Was it a spaghetti incident? What's no, it was right? after that. Oh. So it was after that. So we were gonna, we were gonna get something started, yeah. right? Um, but I had gotten sober, and somebody introduced me to. Um, I was going down. Now I'm going to Gold's Gym in Laurel Canyon, uh, in North Hollywood. Yeah, and I'm riding my mountain bike. I'm going to this gym. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm just trying to stay anything I can do to stay sober. Yeah, and there was a kickboxer in the in the Gold's Gym, and I like I could. He was like hitting bags. I said uh, I said something to him. I said, "Do you want to?" If you want to, I can introduce you to my sensei. And it was two doors down. I yeah. went through the back door and I met Benny the Jet or Kitas. Uh, went through the door and this guy comes up to me. His eyes just pierced through me and like saw all the way down. And it was a real fighter's gym at that time, 94. Um, and he, he saw that I was, <laughs> I just kind of, kind of come through some stuff. And, yeah. he, and he said, look, man, if you, if you want to work in this gym, you have to, I don't want to hear you talk. You have to show me you belong here. So it was just, um, I did whatever he said, and I did t- two a days, and I stayed in there for that next two years. I was doing two a days. I was reading history at home. I was lived like a monk. I had like a, I didn't know how to like, like talk to a girl or yeah. anything like that. I got a big L on my forehead. Yeah. But I would just, in that two years, Steve Steve Jones. Yeah. Came to me. He said, "You want to, uh, you want to play in this band with me and John Taylor, Matt, like Shannon Hoon had just died." Yeah. Um, uh, we did a benefit show for his his wife and child. Uh-huh. And I said, "Steve, I, I before that, I, said, I don't think I can play again. I think me getting sober, that's the end of my music career. You know, I yeah. I don't see myself being able to do it." Yeah. And, he's, and Steve had gotten sober two yeah. years prior. And he goes, it's okay, man. And it's Steve Jones, my hero. Yeah, yeah. The guy that, you know. <laughs> he's a character. He's my everything. Like mm-hmm. Steve Jones asked yeah. me to play with him. I, I, he says, you're going to, and he, what he said to me, he said, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You're going to be fine. Trust me. And we went and started rehearsing. And we played that first show. And I was so scared before the show. And the show, then I realized like I was, it was easier to play. Yeah. And. Um, People said, you know, after the show, you, you've never played that good. You know? <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. You know, my palms are sweaty, everything. Yeah. Um, I look so much different than I did at the end of my getting fucked up days. Yeah. Which was only two years prior. But, yeah, but yeah, yeah, as soon as you get off the shit, you start rebuilding. You know? Yeah, people thought I got a facelift and like all this stuff. I'm like, wow. no, I'm just sober, you know? That's great. Yeah, so uh, that became, began this really long cool journey as you know yeah it gets much better sure right yeah and it really does and yukita khan martial arts is a what i didn't know until i went to program meetings the thing yeah it it is the 12 steps the thing yeah is not invented by a couple of guys in the 30s Uh these are universal truths right they've gone back in martial arts for four thousand years Uh right yeah so you have to i went to the the things the secret meetings we yeah. have with the pointy hats and yeah. stuff secret handshake i'm like well this is yukita khan yeah i'm going through the steps and yeah. like, this is my martial art yeah kind of astounding that's great yeah that's a great story dude it's just sort of astounding you know, you know where you're at you got two grown kids you've been sober a long time you weathered the storm you and the fellas are back together again and you know you, you know uh it's it's nowhere near as crazy and the money's as big as ever and you found time to sort of like 
put this album together now come in full circle so you know where we started this in terms of the inspiration for the record was you being out in the world and talking to other right. people yes talking to other people and and kind of realizing uh i think i'm going to write a book about this right because i don't see this divide i, I see the news and then yeah. i read the thing and the divide and this and that and no and the twitter and the, and I'm, I'm just not seeing it our band goes out and plays these huge shows and music is so universal we've played all over the world for 159 shows yeah to like five million people right and you see a mix of people we played in in muslim countries where you know, women with their whole heads covered are just rocking the fuck out. Yeah. And you realize, like, uh, the, it's about about the music. And, and, you know, to us, it might seem culturally weird, but I've traveled enough to the to other countries that I don't think it's... I don't go there. But I go there without judgment. You know, yeah. it's like, they're just rocking the fuck out. Right. I'm down with that, you yeah. know. We've played Israel and South America and Asia, totally yeah. different cultures. But music is so universal. So maybe I'm in... If I'm in any bubble... It's in one that of unity. You know, yeah. like this music is doing this really great thing yeah. in a in a pretty strange time right now. This this country itself has a very interesting history, you know. And uh, if you look at this, just you can concentrate on current if you want to. Yeah, I don't pay it that much attention, man, because I know this too shall pass. That's the way this country rolls, you yeah. know. And uh, I choose to see in America as the one that. W- we unite no matter what. And I think that's going to happen. People are going to get sick of being serious about crap. You know, it happened uh, like when disco came in. People were just so sick of the Watergate and the Vietnam War. And like all of a sudden just people just lost their minds in punk rock and disco and all this yeah. shit and coke. You know, like people yeah. just went crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it'll yeah. have like that's just our recent history. Oh, yeah. Well, I hope, it, I hope it happens that way and not in the way where people start, you know, picking up arms and organizing militias and cleansing the rest of uh, their state. Yeah, I just uh, I, I think humanity is I, I I haven't seen one like even I have a cabin in a place that's my neighbors have been in it a quote-unquote red part of a state. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Super red. Right. They don't know the cities. They're scared to come to the cities. Yeah. My neighbors and stuff, and I like talk to them. I joke to them about it. My, my family's gone to use my cabin and get a call. It's early on. There's some, somebody's using your cabin, like broke in. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, do you, you know, they're, they're, they're black. I'm like, that's my family, man. You know, like uh. they never see, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is like 20 years ago, but we've, Come up together over there in, in that country where we water ski together. We go up in the mountains. We do. You're friends with your neighbors. We have barbecues. We're yeah. super good friends. And we, you know what? We just don't talk about politics. So this, this, so this record you see as a unifying record. I hope it to be. I, I really hope it to be. I started writing these little vignettes that were going to be beginnings of chapters. Uh-huh. Um, and just of my observations like it's not as bad you know as you think and if you go back in history and you see this happened here and this happened there and and this will pass man it's how we handle it now and i do have these daughters and i want my daughters to know their father you know what did you do when yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah what did you do when that yeah. happened and i see the you know we see a lot of fucked up shit going on with the, the school shootings and the, and you wrote that song called parkland i mean it's very specific it's pretty specific 
Well, but it, I, it's, it's kind of made without commentary. It's more of a funeral dirge. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And I think you picked the right producer. It's got a, kind of that roots feel. You know, Shooter's like, you know, when he sets his mind to doing something that sounds American. Yeah. You know, in a way, you know, uh, it's very accessible. I think it was great. And, you know, and I, and I, and I wish you luck with it. it was, oh, thanks, Mark. And All it's, right. It's great talking to you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. I, I'm glad I finally got to come on the show. It was really good, Duff. Thanks, man. Okay, cool. So that was Duff. What a nice guy, right? And I, it, like he, it just—it was all coming back to him. It seemed when I was sitting there talking to him. His third album, Tenderness, comes out next Friday, May thirty-first. Get it wherever you get your music. All right, I'm going to play some guitar. I'm going to play three chords in a way slightly different than I played them previous. Enjoy, Echo.